0: Good morning. Hear the word of the Lord. We're back in Acts chapter 18, and when it says he, it's Paul, just in case you forgot. After these things, he left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, having recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. He came to them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them, and they were working. For by trade, they were tent makers. And he was reasoning in the synagogue every Sabbath, and trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. But... When Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself completely to the word, solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. But when they resisted and blasphemed, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your heads. I'm clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God, whose house was next to the synagogue. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with all his household and many of the Corinthians when they heard were believing and being baptized. And the Lord said to Paul in the night by a vision, Do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no man will attack you in order to harm you, For I have many people in this city. And he settled there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. Amen.
1: Well, you may have uh, heard someone say, God told me. Right? You may have said it yourself. You may have uh, run into somebody, I've run into actually several people that this has happened to, where someone came up to them and said, God told me I'm supposed to marry you. (laughs) You know the right response to that, right? Well, God hasn't told me that. (laughs) And until he does, I'm not marrying you. (laughs) But that raises a question for us. How do we really know when God's speaking to us? How do we know when he's leading us? Because if he's God of the universe and we're here to follow him, then we need to know how to follow his leading, how to see his hand guiding and directing us in the way he wants us to go. How does God direct us into the places and to the people and to the ministries that he has for every one of us as part of his kingdom? Should we expect some voice from heaven? Should we expect some clear direction, some voice, or are there other ways he leads? How do we discern his hand? Well, today, as you've heard, we're jumping back into the book of Acts, which we will be in until we finish the book in January. So we're in Acts chapter 18, and Paul, back in chapter 16, saw a vision. He was trying to go into Bithynia and saw a vision of a Macedonian man who came to him and said, please come to Macedonia and help us. And Paul saw that as clearly from the Lord. So he obeyed. He went to Macedonia. He went to Philippi where he got thrown in jail. He got to Thessalonica where the Jews ran him out of town. He got to Berea where The Jews from Thessalonica came and ran him out of town again. (laughs) He went to Athens, shared the gospel where there was virtually no response. And now essentially with his emotional tail between his legs, he goes to Corinth. Discouraged and wondering, what's going on? (laughs) I thought you were leading me, God. How come things aren't going so well? And just so you know, how I know that he was discouraged, First Corinthians, the book to this very church, in chapter 2, verse 1 through 3, listen to what he says. And when I came to you, to the church in Corinth, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God, for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Listen to verse 3. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. He was struggling as he came to Corinth. And yet, our passage today shows God's hand leading Paul in some amazing, wonderful ways. And I think as we look at that, we'll see how God can lead us today as well and even or maybe especially when life is hard and we are feeling weak and we are struggling so pray with me and we'll look at this together thank you Lord for the example of the scriptures that is so real to life we can identify with Paul sometimes just we think we're following you but life doesn't work out and what does that mean? Does it mean you're no longer with us? Does it mean you're not leading us? It can be hard. But Lord, as we look at at this passage together, may your Spirit guide us in understanding more fully how your hand is at work in every circumstance, even what seems like failure and difficulty. So that we might be better followers, better listeners, as we seek to follow your lead. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So he comes to the city of Corinth. Now, in New Testament times, the city of Corinth was a city of at least 200,000 people. Really, about the size of Boise itself, Boise proper. Let me show you a map of his travels from Acts. Notice that little Distance he travels to Corinth, it's about 57 miles. So Athens didn't go well, he goes to Corinth, he's on his own. And notice on the map, there's a little isthmus there, there's the Peloponnesian Peninsula, and then Corinth is right at the place where there's a narrow strip of land, the isthmus there, where there's ports on both sides. Corinth was a major port city, obviously, and they didn't have a canal yet though they had tried to build one, Nero tried to build one. So what they would do is they would drag ships on logs and roll them across the three and a half miles of the Isthmus connector there so that they could short-circuit the trip all the way around the Peloponnesian Peninsula. So Paul's in his second missionary journey. You can see all the places he's been as he's traveled. Now Corinth obviously was a place where sailors hung out. You know, sailors have a reputation, right? (laughs) In fact, Corinth had a reputation in the day that to Corinthianize meant to live a sexually immoral lifestyle. And if you were ever called a Corinthian girl throughout the Roman Empire, it was basically saying you were sexually immoral as a woman. So it had a bad reputation. (laughs) Why was that? Well, let me show you a picture the beautiful place, this is from up high and you're looking down on the city of Corinth as it is today, but you can imagine a city of 200,000 there, beautiful by the water, by the Aegean Sea. It's a gorgeous place. And, but, next picture. From down below, you're looking up from where that last picture was taken of. That's the Acro-Corinth, they call it, the high place on Corinth. And at the top of that hill up there, was the temple to Aphrodite. Now Corinth had many temples to many gods, but this was the key one to the whole city. Aphrodite is the goddess of love. And they kept a thousand prostitutes at the temple of Aphrodite. Every night they would come down the hill into the city to ply their trade, and people partook of these thousand temple prostitutes who came down every night. It was a normal part of life there that so many of the Corinthians participated in. Listen to what Paul writes to the Corinthians again in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 where he says this Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says the two shall become one flesh. And you may say, how could the Christians have bought into that? Apparently, it's, well, clearly, many of the Christians were still sleeping with these temple prostitutes. It was such a natural part of their culture that they just were still doing it. And Paul's got to give them an argument and say, no, listen, listen. This is not to be part of your lifestyle. This is not what we're called to as believers. We're called to purity in our sexual life. But many of the Christians were confused because it was just so naturally part of their culture. Now let me just say, by application to us today, what I'm finding is that many Christians in our churches today don't see a problem with sleeping together outside of marriage. If you're in love, if you're engaged, if you're whatever, it's, it's such a natural part of life. See, our culture says, hey, sex is a natural need for every human being. You might even do harm to yourself if you don't engage in it often, etc., and Why limit it to marriage? Our our society just simply doesn't understand that. But similarly to Corinthian days, New Testament days, I think many of our, especially young people, have bought into the thinking of the world around us. And I'm finding many, many of our young Christians are sexually active. And I think we need to do like Paul, and we need to educate our young people and say, hey, wait a minute, this is a place where you must not buy into the culture because it will be destructive. Paul goes on to say this in 1 Corinthians 6 that applies not only to the prostitutes in Corinth but to sexually active people today. He says this But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you're not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. We need to do a better job of educating our younger people that their bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit and sexual immorality... Sex outside of marriage sins against your own body and does damage. And there's a lot of ways that happens, and we could go on and on about it. Certainly one of the ways is that when you are sexually intimate with somebody, it releases hormones, a bonding hormone, oxytocin, in your brain that bonds you to that person. And when you're sexually active outside of the covenant of marriage, then it reduces your ability to bond with anyone, Later in life, there's all kinds of ways it happens. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's just kind of an aside about the Corinthian culture. Now, I want to go on to talk about six different ways I see God leading Paul. He, God leads Paul in all kinds of ways, and a critical one that he leads us one of the ways, the first one I want to highlight, is he can lead us through world events through world events. Notice how this passage begins. Paul goes to Corinth, and as he goes to Corinth, and he's there, he meets up with Aquila and Priscilla. And he's there with Aquila and Priscilla, he, who came, how did they get there from Rome? They got kicked out of Rome because all the Jews were expelled, kicked out by the emperor Claudius. Now, how did that happen? How did they get kicked out? Well, apparently, they got kicked out, as John Stott tells us, because of this. Suetonius referred to this in his life of Claudius. As the Jews were making constant disturbances at the instigation of Crestus, he banished them from Rome. The people expelled, he called Jews, but Crestus seems to mean Christ. Christ. The pronunciation of Christus and Crestus would have been very similar. In which case, the Jews were Christians, and the disturbances in the Jewish community had been caused by the gospel. People had come to Christ, it was creating disturbances in Rome. They get kicked out and end up in Corinth, and they happen to, coincidentally, run into Paul. There they become friends. Paul works with them because they're of the same trade. They're tent makers. They get to know each other. And um, what strikes me about this is that God uses the arbitrary command of a pagan emperor to get Paul and Priscilla and Aquila together for the sake of the gospel. You see how amazing the power of God is? I mean, he just moves kings the way he wants them. World events are all in God's hands, and he uses them to further his purposes. doesn't mean he agrees with everything they do at all, but it does mean he uses them for his greater purposes. He moves kings and presidents and rulers. We see it, of course, in the Old Testament, Nebuchadnezzar with Daniel, Cyrus, who allowed the people to come back from the captivity, and on and on, Proverbs 21, 1 is a good proverb to remember and memorize because it reminds us that God is in control of kings and all those in authority where it says the king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. God uses world events, world leaders, whatever he wants To lead us and direct us and get us where he wants us to be. Again, world events may not be God's perfect will, but he can use anything to lead us. Secondly, we see in this passage, he leads us through other believers. Through other believers. Of course, Priscilla and Aquila provide a place for Paul and they're a great blessing to him. But notice also Silas and Timothy in verse 5. When Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself completely to the word, solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. Now what we find out from other books, Philippians, let me read Philippians chapter 4, and from 1 Thessalonians, Philippians chapter 4, verse 15 and 16 Paul writes, You yourselves know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia and went to Corinth, <laughs> no church shared in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. See, Timothy brought a gift from the Philippians, financial gift, so that Paul could go on preaching the gospel and not have to continue to work as a tent maker. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 describes also this visit and what happened during that time and 1 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 5 and 6 for this reason when I could endure it no longer I sent to find out about your faith for fear that the tempter might have tempted you and our labor would be in vain but now that Timothy has come to us from you from Thessalonica and has brought us good news of your faith and love And that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us just as we long to see you. For this reason, brethren, in all our distress and affliction, we were comforted about you through your faith. For now we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. So Paul is having to work. He's discouraged. He's worried about the churches. Silas and Timothy show up and they bring financial support so that he no longer has to work. And they also bring encouragement about how the churches are doing, and it greatly lifts his spirit. Not completely, but it greatly lifts his spirit so he can devote himself to full-time ministry. Sometimes, I think, we don't realize the power we have to help in the work of God through our giving of encouragement, through our giving of time, through our financial giving. And I love watching this church work. Thank you for your generosity in all those ways. (laughs) Time, encouragement, financial giving. You're a very incredibly generous church, but I just want to encourage you that God uses you to direct and lead others in their work for God's kingdom. We do a lot of projects here where we reach out overseas and our overseas global outreach budget is huge because you are so generous. And in all the years I've been here, 26 years of ministry, I only n- remember one time when we didn't receive the money we needed for a trip. It happened to be a trip that I was leading <laughs> to Thailand. And I had a co-leader, another pastor on staff that we were preparing and we were working hard to do fundraising. We had a whole team and we worked and worked and the money was not coming together and we just didn't have enough when it came to buy tickets and we had to cancel the trip. And I was dumbfounded. I said, Lord, what, what is going on? How come you're not providing here? We thought it was your will. We thought you wanted us to go. And within a week after the trip was canceled, we found out the pastor that I was co-leading the trip with had been caught in sexual immorality and that needed to be dealt with. God was clearly leading through people not giving in that case. See, God leads us through other believers, through our contact with them, through encouragement, through giving in their wisdom and encouragement and all the things and I just want to encourage you, you have a huge impact on the kingdom of God when you give yourselves away in all these ways. God will also lead us through trials. (laughs) We'd rather not be led through trials, right? (laughs) We'd rather avoid trials, but it's one of the primary ways that God leads us. Notice verse 6. But when they resisted, the Jews resisted and blasphemed, and that word resisted means kind of they, they stood up as a group against Paul, and then it says they blasphemed, they reviled him. Verbally, they tore him down. It was a difficult time. But God used that to move Paul away from reaching out to the Jews to reach out to the Gentiles. Paul wanted to keep reaching out to the Jews. He would have stayed there, but God had a different plan for him and moved him on through these trials. So often, God uses our trials, maybe rejection from someone else, to get us where he wants. This summer, a group of us were in Egypt, and we visited a place called the Garbage City. 50,000 people in the center of Cairo, nearly all Christians. They've gathered there because it's such a difficult country in which they're persecuted, the Coptic believers there. And so right in the middle of Cairo, they've gathered in a place called the Garbage City because they process the garbage for 22 million people in the city of Cairo. And it's become a place where they have been able to find safety and security there. They've also are making actually a pretty good living (laughs) processing all the garbage there. And they've also found the safety of being able to worship God together. I want to show you a couple pictures here. This is a church they've carved into the side of a mountain in the center of the garbage city. And this church is a high-tech Place where they worship God, and this church seats 50,000 people. Here's another view from down below. You can see how the seats go up, and you're only seeing a, a small, small section of it. They've carved it out of the side of the mountain, and it's a place they're worshiping God. God has used trials, the trials they faced, to give them a place of security and safety where they can worship God even as they process garbage. God leads us through the difficulties and trials of life. As I think about my, old, my own life, I'm, I'm pretty stubborn. And when I get someplace, I just want to stick there. And God has used situations to move me on from a place that I probably wouldn't have left if it hadn't gotten just so difficult and impossible for myself or my family to stay there. So God can use even trials and pain to get us where he wants to lead us in the way he wants to. And right now, just consider your own life. How is God leading you through your trials, through your pain? Maybe into a new place of ministry. Maybe into a deeper relationship with him. Maybe into a servant heart where he's changing you from the inside out. But believe me, God is at work in whatever you're going through, leading you into his greater, deeper purposes. God also leads us through our circumstances, right? He uses our circumstances to lead us the way he wants to. Notice verse 7 and 8. I'm going to read those again. Then he left there. He left the synagogue and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God, who, by the way, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with all his household, and many of the Corinthians, when they heard, were believing and being baptized. I don't know. This is humorous to me. (laughs) Paul says, I'm going to go to the Jews, and I'm going to take the gospel. God says, you're called to the Gentiles, but I'll tell you what. I'll put you next door (laughs) to the synagogue, so every time the Jews come to synagogue, they're going to hear you preaching out on the doorstep. So that even the leader of the synagogue is going to come to Christ. So I'm not going to give up on the Jews, Paul, but I'm just going to expand your ministry here far beyond of what you would have ever believed through these circumstances by opening the door for you to minister right next to the synagogue. Isn't God amazing? I mean, God does that all the time. He's so good. He's always working in our circumstances, whatever they are, and he's working them for the good of the kingdom and for our good so that we can serve him and to lead us to be part of what he's doing in the world. So whatever is happening in your life, if we just have eyes to see, we can see God's hand moving and directing our circumstances to get us right where he wants us to be. God is involved in everything, brothers and sisters. I'm sure you could tell many stories like this, but I'll try to briefly tell this one of how we ended up at Cole. I was at a church, small church, and it just was not a good fit. After two years there, a friend here said, You know, Cole is looking for a counseling pastor, and I have a degree in biblical counseling, and so I thought, Wow, oh, that could be a great fit. I could get to Cole. I know Cole's a great church sent a letter to David Roper. David wrote back and said, sorry, it's been filled. So I realized, okay, that's not God's call. So a year later, after I'd had to learn some hard lessons, which is exactly why God kept me there for another year to work in my life, I was at a conference in Canada, a pastor's conference, and I got a message that David Roper was calling me, and I thought, how did he even find me here in Canada? Well, a new position had opened up that actually was a better fit for me, doing our study center, directing and teaching, and and he uh, had my name on his mind from me having written a year before. So he called me up. God worked it out. I, it was time to leave the other church, and I ended up here 26 years ago. You see, God works in all kinds of ways through all kinds of circumstances. From a friend just having an idea to David Roper remembering me to him feeling free to call me and finding me in Canada and etc. God is sovereign and he uses everything. Brothers and sisters, if we just open our eyes, God's moving in everything that happens. But God also leads us through his words. His words. I I say that plural for a purpose. We'll see in a moment. Verse 9 through 11. God actually speaks to Paul and the Lord said to Paul in the night by a vision don't be afraid any longer. Now your translation may not say any longer but that's literally what what it should say because of the tense of the Greek verb it it's very clear that Paul really was afraid. And God's saying, stop being afraid. You don't need to keep being afraid any longer. Don't be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and don't be silent. For I am with you and no man will attack you in order to harm you. For I have many people in this city. So as we've already seen, Paul was fearful. And even though friends had come, he's still afraid. And God feels the need to encourage him and say, hey, stop being so afraid. He must have been close to quitting. I've had it. This is too hard. And God promises him three things, if you read this closely. God's presence, God's protection, and God's people. God's presence, God's protection, and God's people. You know, those are three things that God promises every one of us. And those are three things that when we get down and dark in the most difficult times that we need to remember, his presence is with us. He will be with us right in the midst of whatever's going on. He'll empower us. He'll give us the resources we need. He will protect us from the evil one. It doesn't mean we won't experience difficult times, but he will uh, protect us from true harm. And the evil one can never truly knock us off course. And he always has his people, if we'll only look. His people are there and we'll have the support of his people, no matter what we're going through, no matter what, if life seems too much for us. God speaks directly to Paul through his words. God can speak that way. Let me just say, for my own life, I I don't know if I just have way too much wax in my ears, but there are some times I felt like God spoke to me very clearly and there were, have been other times where I thought God was speaking to me. It seemed exactly the same as the other times and I found out later it wasn't God speaking. So, to me, this is an, a bit of an un, unreliable way. I mean, to depend on it too much. If you feel like God's told you something, make sure you run it by the scriptures. Make sure you don't run it by other believers because um, you know, the, you just have to be careful when you say God told me. I will say there is a way that God leads me and the primary way he leads me in this kind of way through is when he lays someone on my heart and I, someone comes to mind and I just sense Lord's laying them on my heart that I need to pray for them and probably reach out to them and I find when I do reach out to them the timing is amazing. It's just when they needed to have a contact from me. So I encourage you to listen to the voice of the Lord, however he speaks to you, and respond to it. But understand that God's words come primarily through what? Through the Bible. And I find that God speaks to me directly, most often through the Word of God. If you're not in the Word, regularly reading the Word, and in a way that says, God, speak to me through your Word, then you probably got way too much wax in your ears. You're not going to hear him. Just today, I read several passages and several different devotionals every morning and, and what kept coming up is thankfulness, thankfulness, thankfulness for all things. And yeah, but I'm not feeling that good. I'm not whatever. No, thankfulness. This is my message to you today. Let it, it be exhibited in your life. God speaks to us directly through his word, especially. And then finally, And I'm sure we could find more, but the sixth one I want to highlight is that God speaks to us, leads us through unbelievers, through unbelievers. Let me read this last section to you. hasn't been read to you yet, but 12 through 17. While Galio was proconsul of Achaia. Before I read it, let me tell you who Galio is. Galio is the brother of Seneca. Seneca was the main tutor of Nero. Gallio was very favorably seen in the Roman Empire. He had a lot of pull at this point. I say at this point because Nero turned on everybody who was kind to him and later had Gallio and Seneca executed just to make sure that they wouldn't be rivals. But at this point, (laughs) he has a lot of pull. When Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews, with one accord, rose up against Paul and brought him before the judgment seat, saying, This man persuades men to worship God according to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrong or a vicious crime, O Jews, it would be reasonable for me to put up with you. But if there are questions about words and names and your own law, look after it yourselves. I am unwilling to be a judge in these matters. And he drove them away from the judgment seat. And they all took hold of Sosthenes, the leader of the synagogue, and began beating him in front of the judgment seat. But Galileo wasn't concerned about any of these things. <laughs> Very interesting what happens here. You see, Gallio being a, a Roman leader, the proconsul here, is facing these Jews that are bringing the Christians and the accusation was from the Jews that this Christianity is an illegal religion in the Roman Empire. You see, Rome had a list. And if your religion wasn't on that list as an accepted, legitimate religion in the empire, then you would be persecuted to the full extent of the law, thrown in jail, probably thrown to lions, whatever. If you were part of an illegal religion. So that was the accusation the Jews were trying to bring, but Gallio looks and goes, it sounds like these guys are just Jews and you're just arguing about Judaism here. So I'm just not going to deal with it. You guys deal with it. But what that did is it set a precedent in the Roman Empire that this man who had much influence, Gallio, was saying Christianity is simply just a sect of Judaism and therefore part of a legitimate religion that cannot be persecuted. It was a very important ruling simply because this unbelieving man just didn't want to deal with it. Isn't God good? He can use anybody and anything to lead us, direct us, get us where he wants us to be. You may have an unbelieving boss, an unbelieving coworker, an unbelieving family member, just understand that God can lead you through that situation to get you where you need to be, to teach you, to bring you to a place of a more full and complete impact on your world. I don't know about you, but I look at all this, this whole passage as we've run through it, and it just shows me that nothing is a limitation to God. He can use anybody and anything to accomplish his purposes, even in our own weakness and failure and sin, ungodly leaders, crazy circumstances, to get us where he wants us to go. We had a wonderful time in staff meeting, our pastoral staff meeting this week, as we just talked about the different ways that God had led us through all kinds of things, sickness, failure, closed doors, open doors, all kinds of ways he'd used to get us where he wanted us. To be. God is at work working out his will, but the question is, for each one of us, is are we looking for his leading in all these things? Are we open to his direction? Are we looking for him to direct us, and are we willing to obey when he leads us? It's football season. Yay? Go Broncos. Yeah? Yeah? Can you imagine an offensive football player saying, oh, I wonder what I should do in this next play. <laughs> my, checks, my text messages. You know, this nice green field is a great place to just walk. I think I'll just take a walk around the field. I think I'll just, you know, look at the butterflies. <laughs> no, his whole job there is he got recruited by the coach to be there to do exactly what the coach has told him to do to respond to the coach, to follow the coach's leading. You've been recruited. (laughs) Jesus has called you into his kingdom to be part of what he's doing, and your job is to watch on the sideline or listen to the message to the quarterback or whatever, however the coach gets the message to you, and do exactly what the coach is calling you to do so that you can be part of the team that's impacting the world for Christ. Believe me, God will lead you. The question is, are you listening? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you are a sovereign God, that you are sovereign over everything, and there's nothing in this world that is outside your hand and your ability to lead us where you want us to be. May we in the words of my good friend George, have big ears to listen and big hearts that are willing to respond and follow your lead so we can have the joy of participating in what you're doing to build your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.